This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. How are you doing, Adam? Now, before you say that, I actually know how you're doing because this recording was pushed back half an hour so you could watch disc golf. So uh, what's, what's going on in the world of disc golf? Uh, yes, it was. That's my my morning routine. I get up, let the dog out, I eat, eat a waffle and have my cup of coffee and watch the, the weekend's disc golf coverage. Um, <laughs> what's going on in the world of disc golf? Well, my man, Calvin Heimberg, who I have described to you as the Tottenham of disc golf, yeah. always getting to the final rounds of tournaments on the lead card and then never wins them. Uh, he is one point, one stroke off of the lead right now in the final round. So it's He's hopefully doing the business, so once we stop recording this, I'm going to hop right back in and, and hopefully see him win a tournament for once. Can I just say, wake up, let the dog out, have a waffle and drink my coffee is the most American sentence I've ever heard anyone ever say, and watch disco. Um, now I can't believe this, actually, the slander I get for my second sport being cricket and you're watching fellas running around parks picking up pieces of plastic um but but actually it's a nice segue because in the uk tonight on the day recording the hundred which is a cricket competition returns now stick with me for those who have no idea what the hundred is basically it's just a shortened version of cricket because cricket can go between two hours and five days so there's all sorts of intermediate points between that and different sorts of formats but in terms of football, it, it got me thinking because it was quite controversial when it was announced because it was this new idea. It wasn't very traditional. It was it was quite crazy. So if you could bring one innovative change, I'm putting you on the spot here, to the current laws of football, do you have any idea what sort of thing you might want to introduce? It could be anything from like the lineups or the way the game's played, the rules, the timings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Gosh. That is a really tough one. I, it's a tough one because I would consider myself a proper football man, a traditional, an anti anti modern football man. Yes, I don't. I don't like any rule changes. I think if we're going to be innovative, I would say that when a referee makes a decision based off of a VAR check, they should announce it to the crowd what the decision is and why, like in like in American football where they right, say, okay. you know, yeah. penalty on blank team number one for blank infraction. 
Right, right. It sounds like a, a school equation, a maths equation. But yeah, I, I kind of get what you mean. And obviously, there's that news on that VAR checks are going to recordings are going to be available after the game, which just sort of screams a little bit of uh, hiding away corruption. But my idea was, I can't remember what what FIFA it is. It's been a long time since I've, I've played FIFA. But there, there was that year they brought in loads of new game modes, and one of them was every time you scored, a player left the pitch. And I thought, what mm. about? adding that to extra time situations because like take for City versus Real Madrid for example if you can bear thinking about that again when Real Madrid went ahead in extra time and as, as is the case in every extra time really as soon as that team goes ahead how often do you see an equaliser hardly ever so if you took a goal scorer away or you took a play off that team to sort of entice the team to go off and attack and and, and I think you'd get some really cool situations there so that, that's, that was my idea that's a really good that's a really good shout because, as you know, my second sport is hockey. And one of the, the greatest things that hockey ever did was for regular season matchups, so not, not including playoff games, but regular mm. season matchups, if a game is tied at the end of regulation, the game goes on to three-on-three, three and then right. it's first person to score instead of the normal 5v5. Yeah. Um, and... That was probably the best thing that I've ever, best rule change I've ever seen a sport or a mm. league make because three on three hockey is the most riveting mm. little glimpse into like sports that you'll ever get because it's just absolute chaos up and down the ice. Yeah, that sounds fun. That sounds fun. And, and we'll move on in a sec because don't want to be doing a podcast rewriting the rules of the universe. But I remember last summer, because it's reminded me the Commonwealth Games has been on, which for anyone who isn't of a nation that was once in the Commonwealth, lucky you. Um, but obviously, it's a, it's a sort of, it's basically a, the Olympics, but the, the sort of light version um but it got me thinking last year when the olympics football tournament was on how irrelevant it was having only three on over 23 players after a european championship so i was thinking how cool would it be if you had a five-a-side tournament but for professional players and how how you could because you have basketball 3v3 which i think is is extremely interesting too there's beach football isn't there in the olympics yeah but yeah and not in the olympics or at least it hasn't oh, been in the most recent okay. cycle but even something like that because I mean, in the women's game, it's a prestigious tournament. It's a prestigious award. But in the men's game, when when you've seen Pedri playing his ninety eighth game in the in the calendar year, it just yeah. got a bit farcical. Um, but anyway, we'll move on and, and speak about what we're actually here to do. And we've decided to park the city focus for one episode or so, or at least a little bit, and, and open it out to a wider Premier League focus because the new season is kicking off on Friday night, Crystal Palace away to Arsenal, which, by the way, I'm putting it on record, that is an Arsenal slip-up all over. Um, City goes to West Ham on Sunday. We previewed that a little bit, didn't we, in Monday's episode or Tuesday's episode with Alex Brotherton. So go back and listen to that. That will be in date, if you like, all week, all the way up to the uh, kickoff on Sunday at the London Stadium. But we're going to spend the next hour or so previewing the new Premier League campaign and offering our wisdom and some some predictions for the upcoming upcoming season. We've got a number of categories to discuss, and we'll start down at the bottom. Um, so to stop me nattering away, Adam, why don't you kick it off with the three clubs you're predicting to go down from the Premier League this season? Yeah, in no particular order. The three clubs I have going down are Fulham, Bournemouth, Brentford. Um, I think Fulham and Bournemouth both just don't have enough quality to hang in the Premier League and clubs that play the brand of football like they do, where they play really good football in the second tier and they come up and they don't really change anything and they try to play good football and go to toe, go toe to toe with Premier League sides. A lot of times we see seasons like Fulham had in, I believe it was 2018, 19, where they um, either had the second or third lowest points tally um, of a campaign. So I think for those two clubs, it's, it's really a lack of quality and, um, probably a lack of stubbornness or, or maybe too stubborn, but, uh, I want them to be more stubborn in defense yeah. and, and more solid. And if they're going to, you know, stay up and be able to build something now, Brentford, Brentford screams Sheffield United to me, they come up, they do, okay. they have a really good first season. And then I think that maybe they rest on their laurels a bit. Their, their transfer window has been pretty quiet they've had some outgoings but not a lot of big uh 
big signings. So I'm feeling like Brentford are going to get slipped down into that bottom three. And, you know, maybe there's some other clubs like Leeds or Everton or even Wolves who could get pulled into that. Mm. But I, I think it's going to be Brentford going down with two of the, the clubs that have already come up. Yeah, yeah, I certainly see that. Whilst we're on the topic of rule changes, I, I've got one for the Premier League or, or just football in general. If a team gets relegated, they can't be immediately promoted the following season because, I mean, obviously the there's the idealistic idea of like Norwich coming back up and Fulham coming back up every other season, which I think, I don't think they've played a league game against each other since 2015 or something daft like that because each of them have just been going up and down and up and down. But also there's the sort of, there's the, the moralistic point of view in the fact that it, it clearly shows there's something wrong with the Premier League parachute payments that every season the team that gets relegated has a, a tenfold chance on the opposition in the championship to come back up, which is why I find it so interesting when teams like Brentford do sort of break that mould and manage to get into the Premier League. And I'd be really disappointed to see Brentford go down. Um, I, I think they've been a fantastic addition. And I actually think they will. They're not in mine. I wonder if if there is some way in which the Premier League can basically make a rule that parachute payments can only be used for certain things like paying staff um, right. and kind of yeah. keeping operations open that might yeah. um, that might have to close down with with relegation mm. and and basically saying that parachute payments can't be spent on player transfers or wages or anything like that and, and yeah. then you can kind of eliminate the financial disparity between the relegated teams and teams that have been in the championship for five six seasons in a row yeah it's, it's a good shout or even like developing facilities or something like that you know mm-hmm. if you get your parachute payments go and invest it in a youth academy or something like that to make sure you, you're sustainable 20 years um in the future whereas someone like derby county for example who were desperate for those that premier league money have just plummeted down the league um I, I'm with you completely on Bournemouth. They're an absolute dead cert before a ball has been kicked. Finished second in the Championship last season, but they never really lit the league alight. They got very, very lucky with a fortunate penalty decision against uh, Nottingham Forest at the back end of the season. It was a sort of uh, a promotion decider. Um, as for their pre-season purchase, they actually went and had a look on transfer market and it's the most Bournemouthy Bournemouth business I've ever seen anyone do. Their free purchases so far this summer, Ryan Fredericks, Joe Rothwell and Marcus Tavernier are just the most Bournemouth names you've ever seen. I mean, Marcus Tavernier came from Middlesbrough. I think he's decent. Ryan Fredericks was a West Ham fullback, I want to say. Joe Rothwell, he just sounds like the local, like, financial mm-hmm. advisor or something like that he's like a 24 year old who the Rothwell in firm well yeah yeah literally yeah like a local local accountant or something like that um I just they just don't have a strong enough squad to even challenge they're awake it by the way is appalling so if they go down wearing that I'll be a happy man um as for the other two then I I've gone for a team you haven't picked I've got Brentford to stay up but I'm actually going to go for Southampton because it, it pains me a little bit because I've enjoyed seeing some of their pickups obviously they got Gavin Bazunu and Romeo Lavia from City and, and we, we've all sort of got a soft spot for them wanting them to do well but I just don't know where their goals are coming from their only forward they've signed is a fella called Seku Mara who's a 20 year old and he scored six goals for relegated and and I'll add car crash Bordeaux in League uh, League One last season. They had one of the worst seasons on record for any European club. So if their chances of finding if if their chances rest on him finding form immediately, I think they'll struggle a lot. They've got Adam Armstrong there as well, but I, I can't remember who who the other striker is. So. I think they'll struggle. Um, and then finally, it, it, for me, it's either Fulham or it's Leeds for the final spot. Nottingham Forest are a shout, but they've got every chance of succeeding. First season bounce, the city ground will be bouncing. Um, Fulham then, I've been impressed with what they've done in the market. £4 million for Burnt Leno is possibly, or it could turn out to be one of the signings of the season. Mitrovic as well, is he going to be doing that sort of thing he does where he scores two goals after scoring 55 in the Championship? Leeds, I've enjoyed their business. Tyler Adams to do his thing would be nice, but losing Phillips and Rafinha I think is is too much quality to replace and I fear uh, Leeds might be marching on down to the Championship. 
All right, give me those three again, because I feel like you named 13 clubs there. <laughs> so going down is Bournemouth. Um, oh, Jesus, I forgot myself. Bournemouth, Southampton and Leeds. Okay, Southampton is a club that I have in another, we'll say, negative category. So uh, I'll agree with you there that Southampton could be in trouble. Um, Leeds, I think purely from an American point of view, Here we go. I'd have to say I want them to succeed because, of course, like you mentioned, they have Tyler, succeed. Yeah, I want them to Tyler succeed. Adams, um, who I think is a fantastic player. Brendan Aronson, who is another fantastic player. Brendan Aronson was so good in, in U.S. men's World Cup qualifying that there was shouts of him keeping Pulisic on the bench. So, um, yeah, I am hoping Leeds do well, but could see them slipping for sure. Ever the Patriot, Adam. Um, yeah, I'd love to see Leeds. I'd love to see Leeds. I'd love to see Leeds stay up, but I just think it may be a season too far. They, they got out of jail at the back end of the last campaign, and, and I'm not quite sure they've got it in them to stay up again. Um, we'll move on then, because this is we took we chucked it in there, but I'm not quite sure how much you can predict this. But then again, I did. I've, I've gone all sciencey and I've I've brought numbers to the table, so perhaps you can. But um, domestic cup winners, FA Cup and Carabao Cup winners, obviously last season as we are not ever allowed to forget the most successful season of any club in world football history. Liverpool won the domestic double, um, obviously beating Chelsea in both finals without scoring a goal. But do you see them being able to back that up? It was obviously the first time in in quite a long time, actually, Jurgen Klopp had a squad to compete on sort of more than one, or sorry, more than two fronts in the Champions League and the Premier League. Do you think their business suggests that they'll be able to go and do it again? Or do you think City may be able to return their, their Carabao crown? I'm actually going to go with two new winners of the two domestic cups this year. I'll call it new winners. I think City are going to reclaim their Carabao crown. I think they're good. We'll call it second team is is astonishingly good, even when you consider that some of those players are Joshua Wilson, Esperand, and Cole Palmer and players like that. Hmm. Um and I'm going to go out on a limb here, which I know I'll be burnt. I know I'll be burnt by this, but I think Tottenham make a cup run this year in the wow. FA Cup. Wow. Wow. They're finally going to... When was the last cup win they had? 2008, I think it was, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. what was then the Carling Cup. Um, so it's had a few name changes since then. But yeah, that's a bold shout. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say for me... I feel like before the season for these trophies, we always look at and go expect that up and coming team in the league, like West Ham, for example, to sweep in and take one of them. But but actually, having looked at it, it's very rarely the case. Um, the last time someone outside the the big six, if you like, won the League Cup was Swansea in twenty thirteen, and and for the FA Cup, it was Leicester a couple of seasons ago, who, who sort of fall into that up and coming team category. But before that, it was, it was Wigan again in twenty thirteen. So history suggests that a big club usually takes one of these trophies home or if sorry both of these trophies home I'll I'll go with what you said as well City to retain their Carabao crown after a one year loan to Merseyside but I'll say Chelsea to do their thing and, and make a poor season look a little bit more successful with an FA Cup like like they often do yeah, I could see that. Uh, Chelsea are Chelsea are a weird, weird team to me because at the moment they look a little thin in some places, but they're also linked to about 30-odd world-class yeah. players at the moment. So they could be a completely different team in a week's time. Yeah, yeah it has a little bit United 2014 vibes about it where every player who's ever kicked a football in any of Europe's top two divisions is being linked to to go and sign for Chelsea, that they're having a, a really, really weird summer, as you say. And it'll be interesting to see what come September 2nd there their starting lineup or their even their 23-man squad looks like. Um, right, how do you want to do this then? Because we've got biggest underachievers and biggest overachievers. I'll let you kick it off with your your underachiever of the 2022-23 campaign and, and I'll see how that matches up with mine. So my biggest underachiever for this year is going to be Southampton. Now, obviously, you had them in your bottom three, so we kind of are, are looking at them as... Um, Potential losers this year. Um, look, last season they ended in really poor form. They they ended the season with four straight losses, and and after being pretty comfortably mid table in the middle of the season, they really got sucked into a relegation fight, and they actually only survived by five points. It feels like they were never yeah. really discussed in that 
that relegation dogfight at the end of the season with you know Burnley, Leeds, Everton, clubs like that. But but they were down there by the end of the year. Um, I really like the signing of Joe Aribo from Rangers. He scored a yeah, worldie in one of their their preseason friendlies. Um, but I just don't think they've done enough to keep things fresh. They don't have enough quality. And I really like Ralph Hasenhutl, but it feels like it's going a bit stale. Mm-hmm. Um, we see some brilliant performances from time to time. Their, their home game and away game against City last year, um, you know, to take two points off of City was was pretty decent. Um, and it seems like when they're up for it, they're a really good side, but they just aren't up for it enough these days. And um, as I as I said earlier, they don't they don't finish in my bottom three, but I think they will absolutely be down there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't see I don't see many positive for Southampton. It's, it's weird, really, because if you think about the Premier League over the last few seasons, so obviously Leicester were challenging towards the, the sort of upper echelon. West Ham have been doing it for the last um, two seasons or so, and and I think going back, there was certainly a, a gap there for someone like Southampton. Obviously, established themselves in the Premier League. They've been in the league a very, very, very long time now. But I wonder if I was a Southampton fan, if I'd have a little bit of resentment towards the board and it's almost a catch-22. Do you go and chase the dream and end up falling sort of flat on your ass, or do you go and sort of stabilise and become this sort of 14th to 8th Premier League? Well, I don't know, but it seems as though now they're in a sort of really tricky predicament where we're both saying that they're going to have a a difficult season, which probably means they'll go and get Europa League. Um, For me, my underachiever there and I'm surprised you haven't taken this one but it, but it just has to be Everton unless they, they do a miracle and sack Frank Lampard before the season starts because I, I don't see a world in which they scrape themselves out of a hole in the in the manner they did last season and I think it's only because like it was last year these three worst teams in the division that, that they'll be able to retain their Premier League status um, we just found out news today that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is potentially going to be out until the World Cup which from a personal point of view is a horrible horrible news for him personally but it sort of takes away any sort of quality bar Anthony Gordon they had going forward and, and just drops it into the treatment room I, I don't know how Frank Lampard can be feeling about his his job security for me he's he's possibly one of the worst managers in the Premier League the only reason I, I agree with everything you said the only reason that I didn't have Everton as my biggest underachiever is because I don't think finishing 16th, 17th is underachieving for them. <laughs> I genuinely think that that's where they are. Yeah. Like yeah. that that's their sweet spot. Whereas I think Southampton have have a few good enough players and a good enough manager to be a comfortable mid-table side, but I don't think they're going to do that whereas Everton I fully expect to be in a relegation dogfight and therefore they will meet my expectations if they are down there. Yeah, that's mental, isn't it? When you consider <laughs> that Everton, a club of their size and stature, um, for you should be like aiming for 16, for at least that's where you sort of their, their par season is. Um, as for overachievers then, I'll take that one now. And, and if Nottingham Forest stay up, I suppose you could automatically give them that award. But in terms of general view, I'm going to go for Brighton. Now, we mentioned in our Kukurea chat not too long ago about how astronomical Brighton's rise has been over the last few seasons. I don't think you have to go back that long before City were playing them in the League Cup time. I'm pretty sure they were a League Two team at that time, playing in a, a stadium that is nowhere near as glamorous as the Amex. And the fact they are now in the conversation of established Premier League clubs is a, is a minor miracle, in a sense. And, and we said at the time that they've never really been threatened by relegation. And I think they could be that team to as Wolves have done in the past, as I said, Leicester and, and West Ham at the moment, but but not necessarily make the gap into the top six at all. That, that, that's that's too far gone at this point. But definitely top 10 finishes, it should be a target for them. And I really wouldn't be surprised if they made a claim for, for European football. Yeah, I mean, look, they're one of those clubs that came up, obviously they had a couple of, I'd say, ugly years under um, Chris Hewton. Um, but Graham Potter was obviously a fantastic appointment. They play fantastic football. Um, they seem like the kind of club that's always one signing away from yeah. like really exploding and potentially, you know, threatening the European places. Um, so yeah, I, I could, 
I could see them having kind of another season like that where they they go on a few runs in the middle of the season and, and win four or five games on the trot and, and kind of put themselves comfortably mid-table and and maybe, you know, I would say within 10 points of a Europa Conference League spot mm. would, would be a great season for them. Um, so, yeah, I could absolutely see that happening. Now, my biggest overachiever for this season, you actually mentioned them, and I've gone with Nottingham Forest. Okay. For whatever reason, I am really, really high on Forest this year. You know, every year we have we have one club that comes up and makes, you know, an unexpected push up the table. Mm. Um, in years past, we've seen it be Southampton. We've seen it be um, Sheffield United when they came back up. Um, last year it was Brentford. Um so I think Forest, they're in a really exciting team. I love the way they play football. I think Stu, Steve Cooper is a brilliant manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and if Forrest were to go down in the next few years, I think Steve Cooper, depending on you know his role in it, but I think Steve Cooper could absolutely be up for maybe a mid-table Premier League job. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm that high on him. I love the way they play football. I love the signings they've made this summer. Um, Brennan Johnson's a fantastic player up front. So yeah, I, I think Forrest may end up comfortably mid table. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the city ground can be, can be a raucous place to play mm-hmm. on its day. So yeah, I think Forrest are going to be my biggest overachievers and I'm looking at maybe a 10th to 12th place finish for them. Wow. That is, that is a bold shout. I think the only thing for me that's putting me off a little bit and we'll wait and see when the season starts but it's the fact that they've got a little bit of Fulham about them in terms of the the way they're acquiring transfers and I don't for a second think the the talent they're bringing in is on a par to that 2019 2018-19 Fulham season I think it was when they bought pretty much everyone that was available but it, it can be difficult sometimes when you rip the core apart coming up into the Premier League it can also be detrimental when you keep it as it is and, and don't change much as we mentioned with someone like Bournemouth but, but yeah I'm looking forward to, to um, seeing Forrest well, what do you think of the, the Je- uh, Jesse Lingard shout whilst we're here then because I can't remember where, where it was we were having this conversation off air a couple of days ago but the the reported wages are, are astronomical it's like eye-watering stuff but if he keeps them in the league, it's, I think it's on a one-year contract. So if he keeps them in the league, that's pretty much paid for immediately. So do you see it as a calculated risk or one that could sort of backfire? That You you mentioned it right there. The fact that it's a one-year deal, I kind of see this as almost a no-lose situation. Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously they could be horrible and they could go back down. But if they do, then they're not taking his wages with them. Um Lingard's a funny one. Obviously, you know, he gets a lot of stick for his social media presence and the fact that he seems to spend more time on social media than than on a football pitch. And, um, you know, he seems to kind of disappear and then pop up for six months and be fantastic and then disappear again. Um, if Forrest get West Ham's Jesse Lingard, if they get mm. um, Mourinho's United's Lingard, who was a pretty decent player, um, then he's going to be a huge addition for them. And, and you know, if he's playing, you know, combining up top with the likes of Brennan Johnson and some of the other attacking signings they've made, which have been good ones, um, then he can be a really threatening player. But it's kind of all about what Jesse Lingard we're going to get. But I, I just don't think it's, I think it's a win-win situation because he's either really, really good and the money is worth it because he keeps them in the league or they're not very good. They go down and they don't take his wages with him. Yeah, yeah, it's it certainly when you spell it out, it, it does look like it's a, it's a great move. It, I, I'm, I'm despite his United connections, I'm, I'm just disappointed the fact that Jesse Lingard wasn't really allowed to leave United earlier. It, his time at West Ham was one of the best sort of loan moves, I think, in Premier League history. And the fact that now, it were what uh, eighteen months on from that, he's finally getting out of the out of the United shadow. It's a shame, but I eagerly await to see what he does. I think the England boat's probably passed already. I know there were shouts of him getting a, a call up for the Euro 2020 squad, but unless he sets the world alight, I don't see how he makes a, a move back into that. But um, but yeah, definitely excited to see how he gets on. Into the home stretch then, a uh, couple of honourable mentions for teams that could have uh, underachieving seasons. Wolves, they're not exactly 
inspiring many uh, a lot a lot of people with confidence and especially if they lose some of those big players uh, I know United potentially sniffing around Ruben Neves if if Frankie de Jong goes and just a quick word on Leicester Adam because if any team have ever had a worse pre-season than Leicester I'll be shocked it just seems like everyone and everyone is trying to leave that club but they're not they don't really look to be bringing anyone in no, it's bizarre, and it seems like kind of a change of policy from them. Whereas mm. in in the past, if if any of their good players um, wanted to go and big offers came in, they were going to be accepted. and And for years, we praised their ability to sell big players, replace them on the cheap, and and either keep pushing up the table or, or stay where they are, and and basically no regression. But it seems like they've regressed in the last few years. I feel like it's. It's gone really stale with Brendan Rodgers. And mm. I, if we were putting betting odds on first managers to be sacked, I think, I think Broge would be up there. <laughs> Broge. Oh, God, never say that again. Um, yeah, they're, they're, really, <laughs> they're really struggling, aren't they? They're really struggling. Obviously, Cashless Michael's gone, which is fine. It's fine for a player like that to leave, but it's the lack of replacements that I find a bit strange. Um, right, okay, then. 7th to 5th, 7th for Europa Conference League automatic qualification, 6th and 5th for Europa League, take it away. So I have gone for, in 7th, Aston Villa. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well then. I think this project that they've been screaming from the rooftops about for years now is finally going to take shape. I think they had their they had their moments last year under Steven Gerrard and then they had their spells where they were really really poor. Um but I just think there's too much quality in that team. I think mm. the fullbacks are fantastic. I think um Ollie Watkins is, you know, a decent enough striker. I love players like Emmy Buendia. Um so I think that they are going to finally make that push. And I think a huge help for them will be that clubs like Leicester, like you know Wolves, I think they're going to regress big time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is going to kind of free up a few spots in that kind of six to eight to nine range. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Villa are just going to sneak in there. Well then, I didn't expect that. Do you, is that for you more out of like a... A sort of subconscious. You've been told so many times, and for so long, Aston Villa are going to burst onto the scene. That you think it's sort of inevitable, or is it out of? Are you accusing logic? me of not being an independent thinker? <laughs> well, I didn't say anything along those lines. If you want to, if you want to independently think about that yourself, then then potentially, I I don't know. I, they, they definitely have the hallmarks of a, a sort of punching into that category, but I just. Mm, Possibly, possibly. We'll wait and see. Um, six and seven. Uh, sorry, six and fifth for you then. Yes. Continuing on with my independent thinking. In sixth, <laughs> I have Manchester United. I think they will be essentially the same team as last year. I think they will play better football at times and look more cohesive at times. But there is just a startling lack of quality in that team. Mm. Um, weirdly enough, Jaden Sancho. Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford have been really good together as a front three in in um, preseason. But if Ronaldo comes back into the fold, then that kind of blows things up there. Um, we'll see if they get any other signings over the line this summer. It doesn't feel like they're going to. Um, you know, if they get a Frankie De Jong in or somebody like that, then um, if they get any sort of midfield, then maybe it's a different team. Um, but at the moment, I just basically see them being the exact same team as last year. They finished on in sixth on 58 points last year, which was 11 points shy of fifth. Um, I could see them probably hitting 65 points, but I still think that's not good enough to get them in the top four. So I'm, I've gone with United in sixth, and then finally in fifth, I've got Chelsea. Um okay. I think the two North London clubs got better, significantly better, and Chelsea got a little bit worse. And that's basically my logic is that they're just, they have just leapfrogged them in quality and cohesion. And Chelsea have had a lot of turnover. Their defense had a massive overhaul. Um, You know, they've lost Rudiger, Christensen, Aspilicueta might be on his way to Barcelona. Um, 
So they've had a lot, a lot of turnover in defense, and I think it's going to be a really sticky start to the season for them. They they may come good by the end of the season um, when they get a little bit of cohesion, but I think their their start of their season is going to be so slow that they're not going to break into that top four. And a big worry, I think, for any Chelsea supporters would be that um, mid-season World Cup because perhaps it could it could act as a blessing, but if if they're, for example, going in there having had a, a sort of really damaging first part of the season, you're coming out of that World Cup, regardless of how it goes for your players and, and your, your nation, you've got a lot of work to do. It, it, it could be counterproductive for them. So, yeah, Chelsea, they're a weird one. I'll get some in a second. Um, for me, seventh, um, I, I'm with you. I think this is going to be a league within a league. If, if I've got one takeaway for this year, it's that the top six are going to be a, a cut above. And even though there'll be teams in there who are a cut below, I just think any team trying to break into that top six, it hasn't really happened in, in the past few seasons. So, I think as as sort of the COVID market sorts it out, it sorts itself out a little bit, and the Premier League money comes to show. I'll be surprised if anyone makes it into it. So for that reason, I'm sticking with West Ham. Um, they continue to impress me. The work they're doing, David Moyes is having the best, the best uh, revenge tour of any sort of anyone I've ever seen in football. That, to think of how low his stock was, not even just after United, but that Real Sociedad uh, cameo. Even going to West Ham the first time, you'd have thought they'd be in European semi-finals the following a couple of seasons later. So yeah. Sticking with them for seventh, I'm I'm snap with you with United. It's it's sixth and it's everyone's favourite team from Salford, Manchester United. There, um, it seems like we're in the typical pre-season frenzy before the usual capitulation happens in in the autumn for United. And I really really like Eric Ten Hag. I think he's a fantastic manager. But mm-hmm. when he's being placed inside a club which is as rotten to the core, and I, I mean that solely from the authoritative purposes and and not you know, personal bias, but when when it's that badly run in the sense that if we were going in there as two city supporters trying to run it worse, we'd have a hard job of being able to succeed with that. It, it just it amazes me at times how badly run that club is. And the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo was signed in the first place, let alone is still there now, um, astonishes me. And I really wish... My, my one thing from pre-season was, was watching Eric Ten Hag get forced to say that he'd like Cristiano Ronaldo to stay because there's nothing that man wants <laughs> less than uh, to be coaching Cristiano Ronaldo this season. And then fifth then, I, I was with you. I had um, I had Chelsea here, but then I wrote down a table and I saw Arsenal inside the top four and the realisation hit me that absolutely no chance in any world that's going to happen. I just Even if Arsenal have a 40-point lead heading into the final game of the season, I think they find a way to balls it up somehow. And that um that that the, potentially the final nail in the coffin for me was watching uh, the training video of um, <laughs> Arteta setting up his session with "You'll Never Walk Alone" blasting out of the speakers. Which I think the intentions there, the, the the idea is fair enough, but watching that in practice, I I, I don't know. It, they just seem to be in this sort of perennial failure period. Not failure in the sense that you know dark days etc. They're qualifying for Europe, but. I don't know what it would take and the players that they've brought in would suggest they've got what it takes, but I just still feel there's something that's going to be lacking when push comes to shove for Arsenal to actually jump back into those Champions League places. Yeah, that video for me um, was sickening, not from a logical point of view, but purely from a personal point of view because it was feeding an an unwarranted ego that didn't need to be fed anymore. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. So, yeah, I... uh, I look forward to fast forwarding through that scene when the documentary comes out. Yeah, yeah. I think if any clubs needed a fly on the wall documentary for a number of years now, it's Arsenal and, and their season last year is gearing up to be television gold. Um, right, okay, that leaves four teams left. I'll let you go first. Talk us through your your top four then from Champions League qualifiers to Premier League champions. Right, in top four, I have in fourth Arsenal. Um I see what you're saying about their propensity to slip at the end of the season and fall out of that top four. But I, I just love the signings they've made this summer. Mm. I love the way they've looked in preseason. I've watched most of their preseason. Um, Gabriel Jesus has started like a man with a point point to prove. Mm. Um, I saw this morning that um, he's the most owned FPL player of all time this wow. year. Wow. 
um, yeah, no, no FPL player. And you can, you think about some of the players that have been in this league, your Ronaldo last year and, um, Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, Eden Hazard in the years past. He is the most, Gabriel Jesus is the most owned fantasy Premier League football player of all time. That's unbelievable. Yeah, the hype yeah. that he is getting at Arsenal. Um, now the only thing I'll say about that is we know what can happen to him if he gets kind of lost under expectations. Um, we can see how much his his confidence can shatter pretty quickly and the effect it has on him. But as of now, he looks as confident as ever. Um, the Zinchenko signing was a great signing. I love their midfield of, of Odegaard and, and players like that, and obviously Saka and Martinelli and players like that. I, I really get a good feeling about Arsenal this year, as much as it pains me. Um, <laughs> so I think Arsenal finish in fourth. Tottenham, I think, are in third. Antonio Conte, to me, when we talk about, well, I wouldn't say we, um, the general <laughs> the general public considers Pep and Klopp to be the two best managers in the world. I genuinely believe that Antonio Conte is a close third. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that his ability to come into a team and within 12 to 18 months have them be perennial title winners is a ridiculous trait for a manager to have. And I know that he's a demanding kind of, I don't like using the phrase checkbook manager, but if he doesn't get his way in the mm-hmm. transfer market, he will he will bounce. Um, but I love managers like him. He's, he's insane. I think he said, I, I want to kill my players when they make a mistake <laughs> one time. And he meant it in the literal sense. He didn't yeah. mean like, oh, I'm going to kill you. He meant like, I want to throw my fullback off the bridge when he gives, when he gives <laughs> the ball up. Um, I, I'm obsessed with Antonio Conte in every single way possible. And I think this Tottenham team are really well put together team. And I think they will finish third. And then top two. I've got same as it always is Liverpool in close second to Manchester City winning the Premier League. I think that City have the ability, as we've seen, to get through any sort of adversity in league in the league play. Um, yeah. Whether that's finding themselves, you know, ten points behind in, at Christmas and and going on big runs, or um, finding themselves down, you know, two goals on a final day of the season. Mm. This team. Seems like there is no obstacle in the Premier League that is too big for them. Um, and then when you look at the additions that have been made so far, obviously we're hoping for a few more signings coming in. But purely from a 38-game Premier League season point of view, um, I think City probably hit the 90-point mark again and and win the league. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? Um I can't really argue with much like that. If I was to if I was to do this seriously, which is a great uh, a great sign for the listeners of about what uh, with what's about to come up, I would agree that it'd be a, a similar top three. But in the interest of entertainment, I'm going to go over top four that I don't necessarily think will happen. In fact, I think the chances of it happening are, are incredibly slim, or even want to happen. But one that I can see happening in a in a universe far and far away which revolves around one man, Mr. Antonio Conte. Now, um, fourth, obviously, it's going to be Chelsea. For no other reason, really, for me, than the fact that they have this knack and uh, unshakable ability to find themselves in the top four, regardless of how... Okay, fair enough, they, they, they were in the Europa League not too long ago, but nine times out of ten, nine seasons out of ten, um, they'll find a way to get into the Champions League and, and obviously twice in recent memory it's led to them going on and winning the competition from from a sort of not very strong starting point and not being one of the best teams in it so yeah fourth I'm not saying this was formality I think Arsenal will probably occupy that position for the majority of the campaign but I, I think when push comes to shove like I said it will probably be Chelsea now um now strap in for third I'm gonna go for Liverpool still, still think they're comfortably the second best ah. team in the country yeah like I said this is this is a little bit of fantasy, but we'll see where it goes. I think they're comfortably the second best team in the com- in the country, and they'll probably finish two or three points behind City. Like as you said, always happens. But for me, they have to go in there to accommodate my wild card shout for the title. Second will be Manchester City in this alternate universe, and then obviously leading to first being Tottenham. Now. 
twofold I've done this. Basically, first of all, I've been banging this drum all all pre-season, basically, that if ever Tottenham are going to win the league, the Stars would have to align in a season like this. Um, and I just needed it on record somewhere. So if it actually does happen, I can be able to go back and look at it. But if I'm to apply a little bit of logic to it, I'm looking at it in the sense that, okay, Liverpool have the ability to go on these crazy title runs, but they, they, they just... Apart from the one they won, which was really, really strange circumstances, they've never won a title race when it's come up against one or two or three teams or whatever it may be. So they're going down in third. Second for City, obviously, strongest team in the league. Favourites for a reason. Most probably will go on and win the title. But if there's ever going to be a season that City don't, I think it could be this year, given the high turnover and given the the shapes that and, and the pieces that might have to fall into place and, and the, the the patience some of these players might need to to have, which would for me open the door for someone like Antonio Conte at Tottenham to go in there similarly to how he did with Inter Milan, similarly with how he's done with Chelsea in the past and if there's ever a manager in world football you want to have one wonder season and then scuttle away into the darkness, it's Antonio Conte. Now, is it going to happen at Tottenham? Obviously, there's a, a curse over that club that probably says no, but I just needed to air it into the universe. If if anything, just to make sure it doesn't happen, now I can look dead silly when people listen back, but, but if it's going to happen, for me, I think it's probably this season. I think my only thoughts with Antonio Conte and Tottenham is the fact that in all of these seasons where Antonio Conte has turned teams that maybe weren't likely to win titles into bona fide title winners, there weren't teams like Liverpool and Manchester City in those leagues. I think that that's my only thing is it's not a lack of quality from Tottenham and it's Mm. not a lack of quality from Antonio Conte. It's the fact that Serie A in the last few years did not have, you know, a, a Manchester City or a Liverpool and I think mm. that's just just far and away what what makes this different from from those those teams in the past but um yeah if any if any man is going to do it if any man is going to break into this top 2 that has been so locked in for a number of years now it's it's definitely the Italian wonder yeah, definitely. And and I think the the reasoning behind airing this um suspicion more than anything is the fact that I think it, I would I'd be shocked to, to an extent that I wouldn't deep down be surprised if City had somewhat of a transition season given the levels that have been posted over the last few years or so and I I think potentially that could depend on on where the news surrounding Guardiola's contract extension goes and, and should he extend it may be a case of right okay let's get these these pieces in the jigsaw correct and take our time with doing that as opposed to right okay a last dance sort of thing and and, and I think it will probably be the former compared to the latter and I, I just, it, like I said, if there's ever going to be a man, and I think it's a one in a million shout, the likelihood of it happening is next to none. But if there's ever going to be a man who waltzes through and takes uh, takes a club to their first ever Premier League title, it's going to be Conte. Right, well, that wraps up our season previews. I look forward to putting this in a time vault, coming back to it in May and, and sort of self-humiliation laughing at how terrible it was but um, a lot of fun as usual Premier League starts this week it it seems like it was only yesterday we were celebrating that that dramatic Villa game and and now we've got to put ourselves through the rigmarole once again yeah see it's felt a lot longer for me you know I've had this move across the country Uh, you know my dog died it's just been this like this summer of of stress and anxiety for me so um this is a huge relief that football is starting again and and not only is the Premier League starting but every other league with it mm. and um now here being in the US with with Major League Soccer of course I can now get up and watch football on Saturdays and Sundays <laughs> from 4 a.m. until 1 a.m. the following morning non-stop that sounds dreamy that sounds fantastic yeah um obviously world cup year as well which i think is going to be one of those things that we spend so much time speaking about in the build up but we'll probably come to it and nothing will change it will just be like having a world cup in the middle of the year the novelty will be there but as soon as we kick the season back off it everything will be fine um interesting to see how that it does affect it i'm not looking forward to that bit it, it feels like a little bit 
over a waste having it then. But then obviously we had England winning the Euros, the women's Euros. So we've had that tournament success as well. Um, we'll we'll call it a day there then, unless you've got anything else to add, disc golf related or otherwise, Adam. Nope. Here's to uh, hoping Calvin Heimberg comes in and, and closes this tournament off in the next hour for me. <laughs> Yeah, could be very unhappy, Adam, if not. Um, as always, uh, before we do actually get out of here, if you haven't already, um, join our FPL League. Exciting stuff. News, uh, sort of alert the klaxon. Um, how long I'll be interested in that, I can't promise it'll be more than a month, but we'll wait and see. I suppose if there's avoiding public humiliation, like finishing bottom of that, it may keep me interested for a bit. Um, like, subscribe, follow, etc. all that juicy business if you're new around here. If not, and you are a regular, feel free to drop us some questions. We'll be back to the usual schedule, I believe, going forward. Now the matches are back, um, coming after the game and then previews later on in the week. But if not, feel free to to drop us some questions. I'm sure we can answer them, whether or not it's it's, it's time time um, sensitive or not. We'll get around to answering them. Um, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. And until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.